You know, all through the conference, we've been commenting, all of us speakers, how that God has given such a unity of message. I mean, yes, we came with a general idea, a concept, and a theme, but what's been really wonderful is to watch how these messages have gone like this with one another. And it's just, uh, I think it's a evidence of the Spirit of God at work in uh, taking us and directing us, leading us in the things that we teach and preach and what He's laid on our hearts. And uh, listening to John tonight and talking about the fruit of the Spirit as well as the deeds of the flesh, you, you look at that and just compare it to what we've been studying in Acts chapter 20. So I want to just begin by now reading all of the speech of, of Paul to the Ephesian elders. We've reached now the last portion, and I'm going to start at the beginning of verse 17 again and read through. Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 17. From Miletus, he, the apostle Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, Bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold... I know that all of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they were accompanying him 
to the ship. Let's bow before the Lord. Father, we just ask tonight, as we wrap up this conference, as we wrap up this day, that you will just take this final section of Paul's address to these Ephesian elders and help us to see the truths that are here and to apply them to our own lives, to our own service for our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we pray, amen. When we started, we started in verses 18 and 19 with the manner of life of Christian leaders. The text talked about how Paul was open, transparent, blameless, how he was humble with all humility, how he was sympathetic to the point of tears, how he was steadfast in enduring the trials that came. Then we moved on to talk about the teaching of Christian leaders and Christian servants, teaching the word of God, that which is called profitable in Paul's epistle to Timothy, and teaching it publicly and from house to house, corporately and one-on-one, wherever the Lord would lead, and also proclaiming the gospel, the need of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Then we went on to uh, verses uh, 22 through 24, and there we deal with the spiritual life, the relationship to God for a spiritual leader, for a leader, for a servant of God in the church. And there we saw that, first of all, there's a need to be led by the Spirit of God. Secondly, we saw there, there has to be an awareness of the potential of future persecution, affliction, trials, and troubles. And then we saw in verse 24 that uh, there has to be a desire to finish well. Then we went on from there in verses 25 to 32 last night. And we looked at the responsibilities of Christian leaders in the church, of any servant of God. Remember, we talked about this at the start. Yes, we're talking primarily about these elders. Yes, we're talking primarily about church leadership, but church leadership comes out of the flock itself. And everyone must be serving God in a fashion and serving Christ as servants in such a way that we are moving forward to becoming what God desires us us to be because it's the same thing he desires of his leaders. They too are sheep. And like sheep, they need to be filled with the Spirit of God, controlled by the Spirit of God, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. And that's the same charge we heard tonight that we must follow and be involved in. And so as we looked at those responsibilities, we found out that there's accountability accountability. There's a guarding of ourselves, but there's also a shepherding of the church of Jesus Christ. And then there's a warning. 
about enemies from outside the church and inside the church, creating problems in the church and how we need to be aware of that and alert to that danger, to be awake to it, to understand that it happens. Just as we were told tonight, Brother John told us, you know, we have the flesh still. We are in a battle, a spiritual battle. And the formula he gave us tonight is not a humanly devised formula. It's the formula that's given by the word of God in how we need to allow Christ to work in our lives. And lastly, last night, we need to learn to commend the church into the hands of God and to the word of his grace. Tonight, those last verses are returning to how this address of the Apostle Paul begins. The manner of life that is exhibited by Christian leadership and by all servants of Jesus Christ. Every one of us. What are they? There are four here at the end to add to the four that we had at the beginning. And they are these. First of all, in verse 33, an absence of greed. It's always bothered me to hear people say, I can't serve this church because it doesn't pay enough. It's always bothered me for people to say, I can't go and serve the Lord where he's calling me because they're not paying me to go. They're not taking care of travel costs or anything else. It's always bothered me that we always come back to this selfishness, this, this greediness. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, that those who are leaders in the church, the overseers, the under-shepherds, are not to be greedy of sordid gain. Filthy lucre, the old King James has when Christ is talking about the uh, money that is desired by man. I've tried to make it a practice. I don't know how consistent I've always been. But I've tried to make it a practice, even to this day, that when there's an opportunity to serve, for example, uh, to go to Germany, to go to Albania, to go to India, to go to Pakistan, I'll go. And I don't ask, what are you paying me? And if they say, do you have a fee? I say no. And I've understood that if there is no reimbursement of expenses, that's what I then pay. And what a privilege to be able to contribute that way. How can we expect the people around us in our church to sacrificially give if we as Christian leaders are not willing to sacrificially give? And I mean sacrificially. It's not just giving a 10% tithe. It's not just giving when it comes around, but being willing to expend your own money and possessions to serve God 
without expectation of return. And I've been amazed how often God has just taken care of it in a way I couldn't imagine. But I've also been blessed when he's allowed me the privilege of paying it myself. It sometimes bothers me that people say, I, I don't know, I, I, when I give, I want to have a tax receipt. Why do we always want something back? This is what Paul is addressing to the Ephesian elders. He's saying, look at me. I'm an example. Follow my footsteps. Be imitators of Christ of me as I am of Christ. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You see, greed comes out of covetousness. I can remember several times, I'll just give you one example. When I was uh, interviewing it to become a professor of Old Testament at the Master's Seminary, I prayed with my wife about whether that was God's leading, whether that was God's will. And uh, Dick Mayhew called me one day and he said, are you willing to come for an interview? And I said, sure, I'm coming. I'll be there. And we went, had the interview. And at the end of the interviews and meeting with Dr. MacArthur and everything, Dick called me into his office one day. And he said, Bill, we'd like you to come and serve. And he says, I have a contract here. He says, we haven't talked about money. We haven't talked about salary. And I looked at him and said, Dick, please, it has nothing to do with money. I don't care what you pay. If it's God's will for me to come, I'll sign the contract with the amount of pay unseen. I don't care. God never leads where he doesn't provide. And he said, wow, if I'd known that, I could have saved us some money. <laughs> and I hope that I never lose that concept, that desire, to me that is, and it's throughout the word. Just look at it. It is amazing how often this concept occurs. Turn with me back just quickly here to 1 Samuel chapter 12. Samuel has been called by the people of Israel and they have said, we want a king like all the other nations. And he went to God and God says, okay, give him a king. I'll give him a king. They'll be sorry eventually, but I'll give him a king. And then they got Saul as king. And we know the story of Saul and how that turned out. It wasn't so great having Saul as king. But that's what they asked for. They got what they want. It's like in the wilderness, the people said, we want more food. We, and God says, okay, if you're not satisfied with my manna, I'll send those birds, those partridges or grouse or whatever they were. And he says, I'll keep giving you so much until the food comes out your nostrils until you loathe it and realize that your greed and rejection of what I've offered you is absolutely ridiculous. And Samuel standing there, as he knows that they now have a king and his leadership has been changed, and he says to them in verse 2 at the end of it, and I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am. Bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I'll restore it to you. 
That's the attitude. But Paul isn't finished with that. With this being greedy and covetous. He goes on to say, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. Here is the second point. The first point is having an absence of greed. The second one is not being uh, afraid of or avoiding manual labor. Sometimes we say to our students, you know, you're going to have to work to get through seminary or Bible college or Bible institute or whatever in your training. And some of you end up working harder than others because you may have a family you've got to support as well. And we want to do everything possible to make certain that when you leave here, you don't have debt that's going to hinder you from serving Christ. And we pray, and we pray for support, like for the West Institute, so we can keep the cost down low, we can keep the salaries adequate, but we keep the cost to the students down low. We don't want them to bear all the burden of the costs so that they can go out debt-free. But at the same time, there's got to be a work ethic. A lazy student who's never indulged in manual labor ends up usually making a very poor pastor, a very poor church leader. One of my advices to men who want to go into a pastorate or to take a certain church, I, I tell them, look, if you've had an opportunity to have manual labor and to work hard out there in the world where your congregants are also working, both men and women are working out there to support their families, they're working hard, they're trying to take care and meet needs, to put a roof over their heads, to put clothing on their bodies, to put food on the table, and sometimes they have to work in environments that are not very Christian friendly. They've had to learn to be faithful Christians even when at work they are harassed, even when people uh, pick on them or whatever happens. They deal with working in an environment where there's foul language. They work among fellow workers who may defraud their employer. If you don't know what it's like to work in the world, you need some time in the world to work like that with your own hands. If you don't, you will not understand the sheep in the flock. You're not smelling like the sheep because you've avoided all the trials of sheep. I praise God that he gave me the opportunity to enter into the workforce and work hard at a very young age and to have those experiences and to face those challenges both before my salvation and after my salvation. I tell men, if you're going to pastor a church, here's what you need to do. You need to find ways to have lunch with the men in your congregation in the place where they work or nearby their normal lunchtime and to get next to them and understand the environment they work in and live in. So that they know you understand the trials they face, the difficulties they face. And so you can minister ad adequately to them. You need to be busy. There was a pastor up in Montana who was a seminary graduate. Went to his office, dressed in suit and tie. Go inside, lock his door, 
and not come out for anything. One day there was a grass fire in the field next to the church, and the flames were rising high and racing toward the church. And as the fireman began to arrive, he stood outside the church in his fancy suit and refused to get involved in putting out the fire because he had a suit on and a white shirt and a tie, and you don't dare get that dirty. That's not a pasture of the flock. That's a fake shepherd. Who cares about the suit? Get out there. If you get burned up while you're putting out the fire, get your hands dirty. Get your clothes dirty. Get your life into the muck and mire where your congregation works and lives and do something. We used to talk about the Muslim leaders in Bangladesh, that if there was a fire, as we had one night outside our hospital, Christian hospital, they'll sit in the gutter there in, on the side of the road and, and just sit there and say, oh, Allah, oh, Allah. And they're bemoaning the fact they're saying, oh, this is our fate, this is our fate. And no one bothers to get up and tear the straw off of the roofs that are paralleling, the roofs that are burning, so it doesn't continue the fire. No one gets up to move the truck that's filled with gas canisters in front of the shop that has the fire in it. No one's doing anything. They're just sitting there bemoaning the fact and saying, listen, we have worse than that in some of our congregations. And you can sit there and say, wow, I'm glad you really take our pastors to task that way. But wait a minute. There's a reverse to that. How much have you entered into manual labor here at the church to help out? How many of you have picked up, and I've watched some of you here do this, so I praise you for this. At least some of you I see doing it. I saw a man today go over and pick up a coffee cup that was left behind. I've seen a few others do that same thing. Are we willing to get involved, to get our hands dirty and to work? And how do we serve one another? We just, are we just the organizer of a team that goes help to move a member of the congregation? Or are we over there working and laboring ourselves? You see, this, this is not just for Christian leaders in the church. This is for every servant of Jesus Christ. Do not fear, do not seek to avoid Manual labor. Paul ministered for his own needs with his own hands and for those who were serving with him on this missionary team of eight other men. He was a tent maker. He didn't fear labor. Sometimes it's necessary when planting a church. Church planters sometimes have to have an outside job and have to work as well as plant the church. Don't fear that. Be thankful that God has given you that ability like Paul to do it and the willingness to do it. And God will teach so many valuable lessons through that and give so many opportunities for witness. You won't be able to count it all up and see what blessings God brings through that. Paul elsewhere said, he who doesn't work, don't let him eat. That's uh, assuming that the individual's capable of working. God's not saying, hey, you're lame, you're blind, get out there and do something. Swing a sledgehammer. Boy, everyone better run in a hurry. All right? No, we're talking about those who are able to work. Do what you can do. Get involved. Spirituality 
is not avoiding manual labor. Sometimes it means working hard. And why? The third point of the four here at the end. In everything I showed you, he says, I'm being an example. You see, part of this is Christian leaders must be examples to the flock in everything. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It was Paul who in Ephesians said, get busy working so that you'll have something to give to the person who's in need. So you have something to give to the, to the work of Christ in your community and in your church. Work is the means by which God designed that. Work is not a curse. Manual labor is not a curse. The ground was cursed, but even before the ground was cursed, God put Adam to work in the garden before the fall. The very Hebrew word for work is the same Hebrew word used for worship. Part of Adam's worship was the care and protection of the garden in which God had placed him. And that was before the fall. God put him to work. Work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. Work is part of the original design of God for us. Count it a blessing, not a curse. Sometimes you say, and I know this from students, and I know it from my own life. Sometimes when you're especially trying to do something for God, you're preparing in some way. Maybe you're taking some special courses. Maybe you go to Bible college or you go to seminary, and you say, man, I can hardly wait. I can hardly wait to get out and have no other jobs. Just have one and just be a pastor or just be a Sunday school teacher. I'm tired of doing all the study. I'm tired of attending the, the training classes in the church to help me be a better teacher in the, the Sunday school classes or the various ministries that are here. You just want to get to where you're doing it. But all along the path, God is teaching you something through it and he's preparing you. I'll give one example and I could give you many, many more. I want to encourage you, whatever work God gives to you to do that you must do in order to learn something or to do something or even to put food on the table or to put the roof over the heads of your family or to put clothes on your body, regardless of what job it is, whether it's ditch digging, whether it is driving sheep or whether it is who knows what. God will use that to prepare you for something down the road that you'll be surprised to find out. When I was in my doctoral program, my wife was so precious to be willing to go to work so I could try to study and spend a lot of time studying in a brief time there to get everything done, get my doctorate so we could go on into more ministry. I'd already been in ministry for over six years uh, in teaching and before that other ministries, but this we believed was necessary and she was willing to go to work, work at the hospital there in Kosciuszko County in Indiana. And one day we just realized, you know what? It's not enough. We've got a growing family. We've got things that are needed. And so I went to work. Worked for a, a bookseller, a book distributor of Christian books, biblical books. And started out working in the... Uh, uh, stock room and working in the shipping department. And one day, my boss came in. He says, can you type? Yes, I can type. 
well, how would you like to learn the photo typesetting machine and begin editing books and begin to operate this typing, preparing manuscripts for publication? Oh, great, I'd love to do that. And all the time I thought, you know, I'm just putting food on the table. I'm doing what's necessary. I'm enjoying parts of it. I mean, it's great. I'm a book lover, so what a better place to work. I got discounts on books and everything else. I didn't realize what God was doing until we got to Bangladesh. First or second week we were there, we were invited over to two single lady missionaries' uh, apartment. And we went up on the roof of their building and had dinner. And one of them said, just like to know, what were you doing before you came here? That was in my doctoral program. And we began to talk. Well, how did you guys manage to pay for the doctoral program? What did Barb do? And what were you doing? And I started talking about the work there at Eisenbrunn's. And one of the ladies said, what? Stay right here. She left the table in a hurry. She came back with a manila folder, and she slapped it down on the table beside my plate. She says, don't open that yet. She said, tell me more. A phototype setter, what kind of machine? I said, AM Veritiper. She said, what model? 6410. Whew. Open the folder. Opened it. There was a picture of the very machine I'd been working on. Come to find out, they'd ordered it. They sent one of the Bangladeshis to get training in India. They trained him on the wrong machine. They trained him on a CompuServe machine. And so he couldn't, he couldn't assemble it. He couldn't uh, set it up. He couldn't operate it. It hadn't yet arrived. It'd be the first phototype setting machine in Bangladesh ever. And God had put me to work at a time when I really didn't want to work. I wanted to study and do my doctoral studies. And I went to work, and I have to admit, there was a little bit of grudging there that I would have to do that, because it was so nice when I didn't have to, you know? And found out that it was all God's design. He prepared me for that. I set up, established, and trained the first operation of the first phototype setter in Bangladesh's history. When a big printer in Dhaka, the capital city, found out, they had ordered the second one, and I got to go up there and set it up for them and have the opportunity to witness to them as I was setting it up. God's in control. Never complain about any physical labor, any manual labor, any job, any work you ever have to do for any purpose or for any reason in any circumstances involving any kind of labor because God is using that in your life to prepare you down the road or even more immediately for something he has for you to do. It may be nothing more than finally having a visitor walk in the church and say, hey, you know, I'm, I clean out sewers. And really? I had to do that for years, and I hated it. And he's saying, you did that? And pretty soon you have a bond. And you begin to realize, God let me bond with this individual visiting our church because we have a common work experience background. That's of God. Rejoice in it. The last point, so simple. They prayed. 
A servant of the Lord who does not pray is not an adequate servant of the Lord. A leader of the church who does not pray is not an adequate shepherd. We must be men and women characterized by prayer. We must be ready to to pray at any time. When someone expresses a need, not just to say, well, I will pray for you, but to say, can I pray for you right now? Let me give you an example our pastor has taught me that I had never thought of doing before. Instead of just sitting in the restaurant and praying over your food, sometimes you have the opportunity that when you've given your order or when the waiter or waitress comes back and brings you your salad or your soup or whatever, to just say, we're going to pray and thank God for our food, but we'd love to pray for you. Do you have a need that we can pray about for you right now? You get a variety of responses. And my wife will sit back there and say, well, why haven't you started doing that yet? But I learned that from my pastor. And he almost always does that. So I need to do it. We need to find opportunities to pray and to pray all the more, to pray without ceasing. He knelt down and prayed with he would knelt down and prayed with them all. That ought to characterize us, our manner of living. Brothers and sisters, we've been talking about the needs for Christian leaders in the church. But those needs apply to each and every one of us in all of our lives. If you could just take the time to read again this section prayerfully and ask, Lord, where do I need to improve? Lord, what can I do here? But also keep in mind the warning we had tonight from Brother John. This is not to be done in the flesh. This is not to be done saying, I am going to do it. We need to realize that it's the Spirit of God that is helping us in that, and we must depend on Him. And if we're not depending on Him and serving Him for His glory, not our glory, it doesn't matter how much we pray. They're empty prayers that just bounce off of a a bronze ceiling. And our hearts will be filled with selfishness, covetousness, and the works of the flesh because we're not really doing it by walking by the Spirit, in the Spirit, as we do so. So do those things. Take what you've learned. Begin to apply them in your lives and depend on God. Let Him bring forth the fruit in your life. And remember, as we were reminded, it all begins with a heart, a heart for prayer, a heart devoid of greed, selfishness, and covetousness, a heart that desires to work, a heart that desires to provide for the weak and for the poor to be used by God because the heart is set on our Savior Jesus Christ who did far more for us than we could ever do for him.
Let's bow in prayer. Father, it's been a joy to be involved in this conference, to hear the unity of the variety of voices and backgrounds and ministries and churches and Bible training centers like the West Institute and to visit with your people in this congregation, members who desire and love to serve you and who have ministered and who through their prayers have helped us to see the work of God in answer to their prayers to demonstrate this unity of message that has characterized this conference. I thank you for the sacrificial giving of those who have made it possible. For those in this church who have worked and labored hard to see that this was a successful conference, to provide for its needs in every possible way. For those who labor hard to make this place prepared each day for our use and those who provide the refreshments, the lunches, the different things that have taken place that we might have the time to worship you together in this fashion. I pray that this will only increase and that it will only bring glory to you and to see the fruit that will bring many to Christ through the gospel. We thank you and praise you because our Savior has provided all through his grace in his death and resurrection and in the hope of his return, the establishing of his kingdom, and the concluding of his kingdom and redemption programs by removing us not just from the penalty of sin and the presence, or the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but ultimately from the presence of sin itself. And oh God, how we look forward to that day when we see our Savior Jesus Christ and we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.